Welcome to Season 1 of the Unsung Battles Podcast. I'm Ian Anderson, and I'm on a mission to understand the tactics and the truths that men use to overcome their darkest days. Just like your physical body, your mental strength needs to be trained and developed. Everyday men fight battles against personal tragedies, mental illness, addiction, suicide, injustices, and other seemingly insurmountable obstacles. By sharing the power in these stories, I believe they will fortify our minds and encourage the bond of brotherhood. Whether you're listening for yourself or in an effort to help another, men capable of winning in mental combat are needed. So let's get to work. Welcome to the second episode of the Unsung Battles podcast. Wanted to throw out a big thank you to all those who have tuned in, to those who have listened to that first episode. It was more than I expected, and it's been a very humbling experience so far to to see the value that it's adding in your lives and um, that it's already having an impact, and that's the goal, is to keep delivering that value. Wanted to give a big shout out to Laura, Mike, Meredith Beth, and Mama Bear MD. Um, they all left Apple podcast reviews, wonderful things to say about the podcast, good feedback to know what we're doing right. Um, if you haven't already, give that a shot. Go uh, go rate, review, let us know what we're doing well. It helps us grow the podcast and, and cast that net just a little bit wider. I did want to read one quick sentence from one of these reviews that said, As a listener of this podcast, I know I am going to walk away with more empathy for others and understanding for myself and useful tools, resources for dealing with mental and emotional struggles. I feel like that embodies what we're trying to do here, right? Um, That's the goal. It's not just about sharing difficult stories, but also the tactics and truths that you can take from those stories and apply in your own life. So with that said, going forward, there's going to be a wide range of experiences. And personally, regardless of who comes on to share their story or what that story is, I feel like there's always something that you can take from it. So keep tuning in. We're going to have a lot of different dark days that people experience. So with that said, I'm excited to share these stories and share the good that they can bring into your lives, the 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 bonding nature of the struggle, the tactics and truths, and as well as dismantling some of those stigmas. So with that said, let's let's jump into Javier's story. I am here with Javier. He's graciously volunteered. Javier, welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. I'm hopeful that continues to be the case <laughs> at the end of it. I'm hoping that people are still happy to listen to your podcast after this. It'll all be good stuff. Can you give us kind of a brief introduction? Tell us about what's led you to your current point in life. Yeah, that is an easy question, but for some reason, it's never easy for me to answer the whole, like, tell me about yourself. I work in human resources for a like small tech company uh, based out of Washington, I'm married and I have a four-year-old son. I just turned four the other day. Uh, so I feel like an old man. When I'm not doing those things, I, I you know, I have a few hobbies. I, I I say I'm a competitive boxer still, even though I haven't competed in a while. I think I'm I think I think those days might be behind me getting getting punched in the face competitively. I do a lot of coaching now. I get other people ready for fights. Recently picked up some other martial arts like jujitsu and Muay Thai that I'm terrible at, but uh, it's been fun to try to learn that. And then, I don't know, I'm a gun-toting American. I have a piece of shit Toyota 4Runner that I take off-roading sometimes, and I just bought a motorcycle. 
It's a, it's a 2014 Yamaha Bolt, and it's been converted to this like bobber style that I really like. Nice. I love that. I love that thing. All right. So Javier, we're going to jump into some of the heavier topics of this discussion. We're going deep to start off into um, this conversation. We're kind of learning as we go here, but give me a feel for what your current outlook on life is. Where do you feel like you are as a person, whether that be good, bad, difficult, where are you at in life? Yeah, that's a really good question. And if you had asked me this even just a couple of months ago, I probably would have had a much different response for you. Right now, uh, I, I think it's generally positive. Uh, mm, that's not true. I think it's generally hopeful. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Where, you know, I, I still think I'm knee deep in a lot of this kind of personal and mental health improvement. It's really hard to say like, oh, I have this positive outlook on life when you're kind of knee deep in it, right? <laughs> um, but I think I'm hopeful that things will ultimately end up where, where I want them to be. Um, so I would say generally positive. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like you've got a positive trajectory. Um, like you're not where you want to be, but it's going towards the right direction. Yeah, I, I think it's I think I've transitioned from this idea of life happens to me to a little bit more of like, oh, I, I get to be in control of this. I, I get to make decisions and it really doesn't matter what other people think about my decisions. Uh, they don't, they, they get no say in this thing that I call my life. It's been a little bit more empowering. The, the hiccup is how do I use that newfound empowerment? Like what decisions should, do I, do I want to make? I feel like that's a, such an empowering thing, but almost daunting as well. Cause you realize you have that power totally, and suddenly it's on you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the, the quotes that or mantras or mottos or whatever it may be that has been running through my mind is this question of, am I accepting my life or am I leading my life? I, I can relate to that. It's been a little odd for me because I kind of had this realization that I'm a like an insecure people pleaser type, even though I've never identified as that up till recently. But looking back, a lot of my decisions have been based off of validation and acceptance from other people. Like what, what will get me the most validation or the most acceptance for the most amount of people or from certain key people uh, in my life? So having that realization of, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to do that anymore. I can just make decisions based off stuff that I want to do. It's empowering, but kind of daunting because I don't know, I'm 30 years old and I've never done that before. So where do I, where do I start? Let's uh, use that as a segue and wanted to start with bringing childhood and the impact that's had on the rest of your life. So I, I was born in uh, Southern California, like the LA area, Orange County. I'm an OC kid. Uh, but not one of those guys, not one of the cool, rich ones. <laughs> My family moved down to Mexico when I was young, just a couple of years old, um, into Tijuana. So kind of Northern Mexico, uh, just South of California. Uh, while we were there, let's see. So some, I think notable things that kind of fucked me up a little bit <laughs> is uh, one, like my dad wasn't super present. He would work all week and he was just kind of home for the weekends. Even if he was home for the weekends, I still didn't see him that much. Kind of like locked himself in his room to sleep or yell at my mom or, you know, whatever it is that, that he did. So that was probably the, the first major thing, ma majorly impactful thing that happened to me as a kid. Um, when I was around eight, my mom passed away from a heart attack and when that happened, that ushered in a bunch of new changes. One, you would think, 
most, you know, in a normal situation, if a parent dies, then um, if a mom dies and the dad takes over, he's a single dad and, you know, carry on as best as you can. That wasn't the situation for me. Um, I don't, I don't really know what happened because uh, I was young, but my dad kind of took a step back. He almost took off. Right. And so we moved in with one of my older sisters and by me, I mean me, my younger brother, and then my two older sisters who were closest to me in age. So I was eight. My younger brother was two, I think. And then my older sisters were like 12 and 13. So we're, we're all pretty young. Uh, we moved in with my older, one of my older sisters who was like 20 something at the time, 22, 23, something like that. Turns out my older sister was just super abusive, very physically abusive, like had a really bad temper and it's easy to beat up kids. Right. <laughs> and with, uh, with physical abuse often comes things like emotional, uh, emotional abuse, uh, verbal abuse and, and that we were no exception to that. That was uh, when I was from about eight to probably about 15 is kind of how long the physical abuse lasted. And it was a pretty daily occurrence. And I, re I remember that because there were times where I went an entire day without getting hit. And I was just like ecstatic. I was like, okay, what did we do today? Wow. Uh, let's replicate that again tomorrow. Yeah, obviously it didn't work. So <laughs> I, I think... Uh, a person in that situation, not just a kid, I think any person in the situation does start scheming and planning and they they become really aware of their abuser's uh, emotional state and what triggers them and what doesn't trigger them. And you, you become really aware of that. And then you start changing the way that you behave. Uh, you start changing the way that you talk. You start changing which uh, planks on your hardwood floor that you step on. So, cause you know, which ones creak and which ones don't. <laughs> um, and I think it changes very much the way that you start approaching life relationships, not just with your abuser, but like with your siblings, with your friends, romantic partners. I think it unfortunately infiltrates every part of your life uh, because when you're not safe for so long from in, a, from people who should be keeping you safe, like your caretakers, in a place where you should be safe, like your home, it starts starts affecting you in like really real real ways, uh, really deep ways, and and that there's it's inevitable that it starts affecting other parts of your life. I should give a caveat here: I'm not a therapist, right? So like, what the hell do I know? I just have my experience, like what I've learned about how these things impact people on a kind of theoretical level and uh, how they've impacted me on a personal level. So you know. Take that with a grain of salt. I, I'm talking like these are all facts. I'm not a trained professional, so, you know. Hey, no worries, man. We're here for, for your story from your perspective. I feel like that's going to be one of the benefits of this format. Um, I'm definitely not qualified as a therapist or anything like that. I probably should put some disclaimer at the front of this, but <laughs> so. That's my disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So yeah, you walked us through, so you said from about um, eight to 15, um, that this was the environment. Yeah. Yeah. About eight to 15. Um, and then after that, I, I, I'm not sure what changed. I think I probably just got big enough that probably stopped. It probably started being harder to hit me around. Right. So the, the physical abuse kind of stopped, tapered off and the emotional, like verbal side was ramped up 
to compensate, I think, a, a little bit. So I was baptized into the LDS church or the Mormon church uh, when I was eight. That was when I still lived in Mexico. But I don't ever remember really attending all that often. When I moved in with my abusive sister, we started going regularly like every week and we're super involved in, you know, youth activities. And I went to that, to the early morning seminary, which is like gospel study basically throughout high school. What was difficult for me now that I look back on that experience was that the church and its teachings and doctrine were often weaponized against me uh, from my, from my sister. It's really easy to pervert, especially like Christian teachings uh, about how you're not good enough, and anytime you sin, you're a bad, evil person, and the things that await for you are judgment and damnation. Right? That's a very easy way and very common way to pervert, you know, Christian teachings. That's exactly what happened uh, to me. Like my sisters that were closest to me in age were often called sluts uh, for talking to boys, like not even having sex with boys, like messaging them on AIM, for those of you guys who remember AIM Messenger. <laughs> um, and then that was until, I would say until I moved out, but honestly, like the verbal attacks and like the attempted manipulation and all of that lasted well into my 20s, right? definitely through college. So I, I do want to say that I'm in no way trying to demonize religious upbringings or, or a church or anything like religious beliefs, anything like that. This has just been my experience. So you, I, I kind of developed this idea of like, okay, if I want to be a good person, then the church has outlined and established what is a good person. And some of that's doctrine and some, and, but I think most of that is culturally speaking. Uh, I would even, I would say 98% of <laughs> what the, what the church quote unquote church teaches is a good person is cultural stuff of what we as members believe is a good person. Um, and that's things like attending church, um, holding these like positions in the church. And so growing up all throughout like middle school and high school, I held positions in the church that, that I could. And I always kind of chased after the most prestigious ones that you could. I uh, served a, a mission for two years. I went to Costa Rica as a, you know, Mormon missionary uh, because that was, you know, what's expected of every young man that age uh, in that church. I came home and I got married because that's the expectation. And the the problem with that is they, they outline and establish, this is what you need to do to be a good person. And if you do these things, then you'll be happy. The problem that I ran into recently is I'm like, okay, well, I did all those things and I'm not happy. <laughs> So what gives? And first of all, that I was taught the wrong way. Like no church doctrine should ever be weaponized against a child. And second of all, no one should ever worship in that way, right? Like I'm not, I'm not like shaming myself or anything, but like the point of church, particularly the LDS and Mormon church, is not to bully people into believing and like paying tithing. The point of it is to help people find those increments of happiness and peace in life. And the way that they believe that you do that is drawing closer to God. And I think that works for a lot of people. And for those that it works for, I think that's awesome. They should keep doing that. 
So yeah, it, the, the church is kind of a confusing topic for me right now. I've kind of, in a lot of ways, I've kind of like stepped back from it, from a active like practicing standpoint. I still attend weekly because my wife does, but like I'm not super interested in holding positions in the church anymore. I'm not really I'm not super interested in paying tithing, um, things like that, just because. I think it, it first first it's really hard for me to just like legitimately believe these things after having, you know, years and years and years of it kind of being used. All that experience. Yeah. yeah. It kind of goes back to your original question of what's my outlook on life, which is my outlook on life is is kind of um uh, nihilistic. Well, it's very nihilistic actually, which is this idea that there there's no real purpose in life. I think uh in in religions and and even like I, I believe the same thing about like atheism and things like that, where it's like, you're, you're searching for this purpose. Like, what is the, what is the meaning to life? What is the purpose? Like, how can we explain what's happening around us and happening to us and to other people? And I kind of have this perspective of there really is no purpose. There really is no explanation. Um, I'm to use a, a phrase my sister coined i'm a i'm a hopeful agnostic right like i would love for there to be a god and an afterlife and you know party boat heaven style <laughs> but even if that is true even if there's a god i don't i don't think he really cares like what we do here i think the point of life whether you are christian or other religions if you're atheist or buddhist or whatever you are i think the point really boils down to the point of life is to live is to have experiences and uh, and have deep, intense, meaningful relationships and experiences, and as many of them as you can. I feel much better, like much calmer in that belief than I ever really felt with the beliefs of the church. Because the beliefs of the church, for me, have been very uh, almost shame-oriented. Like, I'm not good enough, and I have to do more in order to qualify for acceptance from God, right? Like, you have to earn your spot in heaven. You have to earn the Lord's love. Um, and that's just false teachings of Christianity. That's just not true. If you are a, a member of, an, of a Christian church, particularly the LDS church, and someone is teaching you that, I, I think that's false doctrine. Uh, but also, I think just life is a lot simpler than that. It's kind of interesting because I feel like when you talk about purpose, right? I've had my own experiences where I feel like I've found a purpose and that's giving me drive. And um, from what I'm hearing from you, like kind of reach this understanding that that purpose isn't there and that's giving you some peace and understanding of what life is about. How do you go about navigating or kind of understanding what those experiences are that you want? without that like idea of purpose? Because I think that's something that I would have a question with coming into this idea of, you know, maybe there is no purpose. So what's your approach to life now? If you internalize that concept of there is no purpose in life, I think you have one of two reactions. One is just total despair, right? Like, oh, <laughs> what do I do now? If there's no purpose in life, what is the purpose of being here, right? Or I think the more the route that I took is, oh, if there's no purpose in life, I get to decide. I get to just choose what my purpose in life is and just just have a ball doing that. That's awesome. I don't have to search through gurus or read books or attend a church to, to tell me what the purpose of life is. I get to decide, and that's awesome. I think where that comes from me, where it has been particularly hard, is exactly that question of, okay, if I'm in charge, what do I want? Who am I and what do I want? 
And boy, that is, oh, those are harder questions than tell me about yourself, right? <laughs> um, and to answer those questions, I had to like deconstruct like a lot of things about my belief system and who I thought I was. <clears throat> and in fact, that's where my most recent journey started. One day I just was really pondering, who who am I? What What do I want? Because it felt like the life that I had built was not for me. Like I had built it for someone else. And in a way I, I think I did because you know, 20 year old Javier, 19 year old Javier or whatever up till now was making these decisions, not, not fully consciously or deliberately, but with this idea of like future Javier, mature Javier is going to thank me for this. He's going to really appreciate these decisions that I'm making because according to what I was taught, these are the decisions you make to be a good person. And when you're a good person, you're happy. Right. So he's going to be happy, even though I don't feel 100% convinced this is the right way to go. To establish what I want out of life, I got to figure out what the point of life is. Right. But to figure out what the point of life is, I had to figure out if I believed in the church that I was attending, if I believed in God and like this plan that was taught to me since I was eight, because essentially the church teaches you what the purpose of life is. And those two things were like really hard for me to really look myself in the mirror and say, I don't. 100% believe in all of this. It was even harder to face like other people and tell them that. I bet. Uh, That's a big culture change. Yeah, yeah. But that still left me with like, who am I? Like, what is the guiding force behind these decisions that I suddenly get to make? And that was really hard. And it still is because I did and still do in a lot of ways believe that a lot of who I thought I was, like those attributes were in a lot of ways like trauma responses, like survival skills that I picked up um, as a kid. An example, which I think I told you about, Ian, was like being funny, right? (laughs) Like I've always been the funny, goofy kid uh, in middle school, high school, college, at work. Uh, You do it really well. Yeah, it's uh, special for you guys. You have my stamp of approval. (laughs) I realized that in a lot of ways that was to get acceptance and validation from people. I think it started as I figured out that if I could keep my abusive sister entertained, I mean, she wasn't hitting me, right? If she was laughing, she wasn't screaming. But then I figured out like, oh, people like funny people. So I had friends who would laugh when I told a joke, right? Girls were attracted to me because I was funny uh, and charismatic, right? And I kept that idea through high school and college. And even like until recently, I'm almost 30 or I am 30. So until I was like almost 30, I I was just operating off of that kind of general assumption of people like funny people. And if I'm funny, then I'll be accepted. When I'm looking at myself, like, who am I? Am I funny? <laughs> uh, or is that just a trauma response? So this is a very long-winded answer to your very simple question, which was, how do I decide what I want? If there is no purpose, how do I decide what my purpose is? When I peel away all these hurt and injured and burdened parts of me that are trauma responses, um, what's left? If you look at different types of therapy, there's one called internal family systems or IFS, uh, which basic understanding is that there's just like a bunch of parts of you in your in your head and some of them are motivated to protect you uh, some of them are motivated to provide you with certain things but none of those parts are solely you there's 
they believe in this true core self, this like authentic self that often gets like shoved to the side when you're in when you're in those abusive scenarios in order to survive, in order to protect you. And so these like kind of hurt, injured, burdened parts of you start taking control and, and kind of leading things. From my perspective, what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to like identify, okay, what is that core, true Javier, like really like in the middle of all this? And how do I get him to start making these decisions? How do I get him to start leading this dance more and more and more until we get to a point where the vast majority of the time, it's that true kind of inner self that's making these decisions rather than those kind of like kind of out of control, <laughs> unreined in kind of more burdened parts. Um, I feel like you've gotten a pretty decent grasp of some different frameworks, some approaches to try and answer those questions. Uh, what have you been doing or what has been your approach to gain those insights? And maybe what advice do you have for individuals who have similar questions, but are struggling to find answers? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, um, I went to therapy. Uh, if you can do that, I would do that. I think saying go to therapy is like an oversimplification, right? <laughs> because some therapists are bad, dude. They're like not good. I went to a therapist who believed in like stoicism and like, he was just like sharing with me about his like ex-wife and his current wife. And I don't know, man, like I was lost in that, in those sessions. So I say, go to therapy. I should say, go find a good therapist that you connect with, right. That like you are okay being vulnerable with because therapy is a very vulnerable experience and it fucking sucks, dude. Especially the first few sessions when you first start, like, oh, it's so uncomfortable talking about, uh, like, even even just talking about the abuse that happened for some reason was just so weird because I just never talked about it, never never told anyone about it. So having to like actually verbalize what happened was weird, and then having to verbalize my feelings and it just felt very like hippie ish, you know. I just like oh, I don't like talking about my feelings. <laughs> In fact, I got so good at not talking about myself. At work on Monday, people would be like, hey, Javier, how was your weekend? And I was like, oh, it was good. How was yours? How was your kid's birthday party? Did you end up going mountain biking or whatever? Immediately turning the conversation about them. <laughs> so anyway, I went to therapy. I found the therapist that I landed on was actually really great for me because he talked to me about different types of therapy. Right. So he talked about like acceptance commitment therapy or EMDR, the IFS or internal family systems therapy. Um, and so he like kind of like so our first few sessions was talking about what I what I'm struggling with and uh, some of my background and then him telling me about these therapies and how they would work and whatever. So that was really helpful. I think some of the most helpful stuff, though, has been just things that I've done on my own like outside of the therapist's office. So I read a bunch of books because um, that's kind of how I approach problems is I'm like, I got to know everything about this problem. <laughs> uh, so I read a bunch of books about like PTSD or complex PTSD, childhood trauma. I also, I was diagnosed with ADHD, but turns out that there's like a lot of overlap between ADHD and uh, complex PTSD, 
right? A lot of the symptoms are the same. So I'm like, ah, well, shit, do I have ADHD? (laughs) Would you mind giving us um, some insight into complex PTSD? Complex PTSD, I don't think is in the DSM-5. But it, or it just falls under PTSD. But uh, essentially, the the main difference between those two is PTSD is typically like one event or uh, events in a short period of time. So active military serving in war zones or victims of terrorist attacks, uh, car crashes, things like that, where they're like singular events or they're they're just not drawn out over long periods of time. Complex PTSD, on the other hand, is the opposite of that. It's it's events that happened over long periods of time. Typically things like childhood abuse or uh, those who live in war zones. My son is crying for me, so yeah. I got to go check on him. You're really totally quick. fine. Sorry. No, no. Don't need to apologize. Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may leave part of this in. It's just amazing to me that... Javier has such a strong priority for his son after what he's been through. Like talk about breaking the chain. That's just absolutely amazing to me. And such a question to ask of how do we return good from what we're dealt, you know? Man, this is why we're interviewing this guy. It's freaking amazing. Sorry about that. No, you're good, man. All right. Yes. So some examples of complex PTSD are people who went through childhood abuse because uh, that typically spans years and years and years, or people who live in uh, active war zones, right? Because there there's a constant threat of violence for years and years and years. Uh, so basically, things like that that are prolonged. So that's the difference of like the situation you're in. Uh, I think the main difference between those of like how it affects a person is typically with PTSD, uh, you don't develop this internal dialogue of like like self-deprecation, right? <laughs> or like with people with complex PTSD, they start developing like uh, like lower self-esteem or really harsh internal critics. Um, they start really questioning their value and their worth because, you know, oftentimes it was reinforced over those years and years and years that they have very little value and worth. So um, yeah, so I, as far as I understand, those are kind of the main differences. Thanks for walking us through some of that. No, it's, a learning experience for me as well. So, um, me too. (laughs) Right. Which is, it's just this constant process. You mentioned how bringing up this stuff of the past was just torture, right? Like it wasn't this easy thing to talk about and I'm sure it's not easy even today. Why come on and talk about this? I think for a couple of reasons, I, I think selfishly, to prove to myself that it, it doesn't bother me. Like if people listen to this and they're like, this guy is what a pansy, right? <laughs> like doesn't bother me, right? Like I, I just don't care what other people think. And if that's true, then personal things and like, you know, being vulnerable. What I think I, I hope happens is that, you know, someone listening to this feels like they have permission to, do whatever they need to do to start healing, right? And I, I think I, I relied so much on that idea of like having permission to do something, and I still do in a lot of ways. And that's something that I'm I'm trying to work on. And I think that's part of like the validation and the the like kind of acceptance and, and try not to be rejected by people uh, is that you kind of want permission 
<laughs> to do things before you do them. So I'm hoping that this gives someone permission to go to therapy or to stop talking to their abusive parents or break up with their abusive partner or it, maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it's you're in the same boat that I was of like, who the hell am I and what do I want? Like you have permission to do whatever the hell you want. Like just just do what makes you happy. I feel like there's just so much. I, I, I think one thing that we haven't covered a ton is just how like pervasive something like trauma or abuse can be. It in a lot of ways literally rewires your brain, right? So I, if uh, for me at least, it, it often feels like a lot of my decisions that I've made or continue to make or a lot of who I am, uh, those like quirks that I have or personality traits, we talked about like being funny, are just like a result of you know childhood trauma. Um, so one realization that I made was that the cool thing is I get to kind of choose the parts of me that I really like and I, I think are really effective. Like I don't want to stop being funny. I like I like having fun. I like being funny. Right. I, I make myself laugh sometimes. <laughs> so like I don't want to just cast that off, right? Uh some really cool advice that I got from a friend and and from my therapist actually was the idea that being funny, like these positive attributes are most likely signs of like who you are, right? In the IFS therapy ideology, there's this concept of like, there are no bad parts. There's no bad parts of you. Like you are good. Even those parts that are doing things that you don't like to do, uh, whether you're like, I think the most obvious is like addiction of some sort, right? There's part of you that's like drawn to that all the time. Uh, even that part of you is not a bad part of you. It's motivated by some some way of like providing you of something, providing you dopamine or or, you know, you want to feel human, you want to feel alive, you, you want to feel something. And so that part of you is like seeking this out so you can have that, so you can feel human again, right? That's not bad. And, and so in a lot of ways, those like parts of me that I, I previously have just hated, <laughs> um, I've kind of shifted to like, wow, you've done so much for me to keep me around, right? Because the alternative is gruesome, right? Like the, the alternative to, to severe trauma in a lot of ways is, uh, is suicide. Right. Um, uh, and so I kind of view it as like, wow, these like parts of me, even though they're not serving me now and, and they may have been a little misguided in, in how they went about providing these things for me, um, have done these in a way to like keep me around. And I'm super grateful for that. So, but there are parts of me that I really like, uh, and I can take those parts and so long as they are a reflection of who I really am, I think they're really good. Like going back to the me being funny thing, which it's funny that I keep saying that over and over again, because I have not been funny on this podcast. <laughs> and also anyone who says that, oh, I'm super funny is like, usually not. But Ian backed me up here. So <laughs> I gave my stamp of approval. Uh, <laughs> but um. So long as when I'm being funny, it's not with the motivation to be accepted by other people, right? I I no longer want to be funny to make people laugh so that they like me, so that they don't reject me, right? So they stick around, so that they accept me. I want to be funny because that's who I am inherently, because I'm inherently like clever and witty and charismatic, right? Like that's why I want to be funny. Whether or not I am accepted by people or uh, girls are attracted to me or whatever it might be of like... Whether or not I get those things doesn't matter. 
if the motivation is like, this is just who I am and this is how like I choose and want to express myself, I think that's really good. And so you can take a lot of these parts that maybe have been kind of weaponized, like have become a little bit militaristic to like get you what you think you need or you want. You, if you take away that side of it and you just focus on how it's a reflection of who you are, I think it, it can be really good. So I kind of had this realization of, oh, I get to like kind of pick and choose the parts of me that I want to stick around to the other parts of me that I just need to help heal and kind of unburden so that they don't, so that's no longer the motivation, right? Um, I think another one that I had that I hope is helpful for someone uh, is kind of being your own ride or die, right? Like this like unflinching self-loyalty because I was, I was kind of reflecting on my, relationships with some people around me and i'm like dude i would do anything for this person like i would they could they could do no wrong and never judge them for something that they did and i never came close to thinking of myself that way right like i have always been my harshest critic and i kind of decided i'm i'm gonna stop doing that I'm going to be as loyal to, if not more loyal to myself than I am to these other people, right? I'm going to view myself of like, dude, I can do no wrong, which, you know, might be a little too far, (laughs) but this idea of like, I'm not going to excuse myself for like mistakes that I make or bad things that I make, but I'm also not going to judge myself for it. I'm not going to shame myself for it. I'm choosing to like and love myself. Right. So I'll like look in the I'll look in the mirror and sometimes it's superficial stuff. I'm like, dude, you're you're handsome. Like you are you are sexy. I like looking at you. And other times it's like, look, man, you don't need anyone to validate you. You don't need anyone to accept you. You don't need any of that for you to have worth and to have value. Right. So it's like affirmations, like legit affirmations. So that's been really helpful. Uh just having that switch of like, uh, I'm gonna be selfish. Because we have, we've like demonized that word selfish in society, I think, where if you're selfish, that's bad. You need to think about other people before you think about yourself. And I just kind of reject that philosophy. I just don't believe that's true. I think you should think about yourself first. And I think you should be 100% loyal to yourself. You should be your own ride or die. You should be fiercely loyal to yourself. Uh, And I think it'll be easier to have healthy relationships that way. Um, Almost the kind of oxygen oxygen mask where if you're not healthy yourself, like how are you going to go about helping other people? Totally. But it's also like, I I think it'll be hoping, I don't know, I could be way off base here, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to become more self-confident and self-assured. And I think it'll be easier to like have friendships and relationships with me and me with other people. Like it'll be easier for people to understand me and me to understand them and to have that connection and to start establishing those intense, deep, meaningful relationships that we were talking about earlier. Um, If I know who I am and I know what I want and I'm loyal to that. And even when I make mistakes, I accept that I made a mistake, but I'm not going to beat myself up for it. Just like I wouldn't beat you up for it. Ian, if you came and told me that you made a mistake. When you talk about this, this approach to yourself, how, or versus your approach to others, where you'd be so willing to go out, help them out. They could do no wrong. And extending that to yourself, your friend was able to kind of have the opportunity to extend that, that feeling towards you. Can you kind of walk me through that? Yeah. 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 We were talking about establishing a support structure. I, I think it's really isolating going through this type of trauma, right? You're, you're very much alone 
in it. And even though I had siblings who were going through it the same way, we were never close. And so that just kind of added to it. Like I always felt like a misfit, right? In my own family and my friend group. So just really, really isolating. I, I don't 100% remember why I came to the decision to do this. I think I think part of me was like, look, I need support from someone that I'm really close to. A therapist is not that, right? They don't know anything about you except what you tell them. My you know, best friend, I've known him since I was like 11. So <laughs> you've seen the best and the worst of me for sure. <laughs> but I, I never really talked to him about the things that I was struggling with or mistakes that I made that I wasn't proud of, right? And it got to a point where all of that was just so burdensome to me. Um, and when you go through therapy, it doesn't really, for me, it didn't really lighten the load. It just gave me tools to like start working through it. And honestly, it didn't make it easier. It made it like significantly worse. Like I went through like temporary depression, like anxiety, just healing is hard work and it's not fun. It sucks. Um, but I, I like, I needed support somehow. Uh, I needed to just be like honest with someone about like what I'm struggling with. I realized I just had never trusted anyone with that before, right? Uh, anyone that I wasn't paying, at least. <laughs> um, so I called my friend, and I was I was super nervous because so I was like, "This could this could be it, right?" Like, because he's a uh, he's a devout member of the church, um, incredibly smart. He's like going to law school at an Ivy League school. Uh, he's yeah, intelligent, devoted, dedicated, right? So I told him and I just was trusted and hoped that that wouldn't be the end of it. Right. That like he, I'm reaching out for help and I'm hoping that he'll reach back out and, and provide that help and support. Um, and like one of the first things he says, he's like, first of all, I love you. This does not change the way that I feel about you or think about you. You've lost no respect and no love for me, right? That is unchanging. That is unconditional, right? That, that was like literally the first thing out of his mouth after I told him, um, uh, told him like where I was at, what I was struggling with, things that I was just, just horribly ashamed of. And that like was so amazing. And since then, we've had a lot of conversations where I'll call and be like, dude, like help with this. <laughs> um, and that having that support, having that support system has been super valuable to me. If you don't have close friends to confide in, I would say like, try to find a group that has gone through something. There's like even Facebook groups or Reddit groups or whatever that have just gone through probably something similar, not exactly, but similar. And I would say, try to build a support system. I think when it comes down to it is that you are, you're worth it. You're worth the effort. You're worth the, the struggle that it takes to go through this healing process right um but you're not broken i think a lot of us think of ourselves as broken people that we need to piece back together um i i don't think i'm broken i think i'm hurt and wounded and injured uh, but not broken whatever that means for you because not everyone has gone through the same trauma that i have right so your healing might be different from mine but whatever it might be i think you're worth it well, Javier, I appreciate it on so many levels that you've been willing to come and share this and talk to us yeah. with it. Uh, I know it's not a pleasant process, but I'm very hopeful that that your message, your story will 
will find individuals that need to hear it and give them what they need to keep going, keep moving forward, learning, growing, and, and trying to answer those fundamental questions that you're still learning to answer yourself. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you for the invite. I, it's not always easy to talk about, but hopefully there was some value for someone in there. <laughs> thank you all for listening in to Javier's story. I hope you found some value in this. And if you believe in what we're trying to do here, if you found value, there's there's three things that I want to ask you to do. And I'm not expecting you to do them all, but I'd like you to pick one. Because a big focus of this podcast is not just awareness. This is time for action. We need to change things, right? The first one, and I do these in the order of their priority. If you do nothing else, ask someone in your life how they are doing. And I don't mean, hey, how you doing? I mean, how are you really doing? And Make sure that they know that you're a resource for them. The second thing that you can do is share this podcast with somebody in your life that you feel like can get that same value from it. It's difficult starting out because, you know, there's only so many individuals that are aware that this isn't even an option. So if you can share this out, get it into the hands of more people that could potentially benefit from it. And finally, the third option, if you're still wanting to do more, go out and review this podcast. It will give others that indication that there's, there's value in this podcast and also help us cast that net a little wider. Um, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, you want to be more of a part of it. We are on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all of those at Win Mental Combat. Uh, we post stories about individuals that are fighting battles or, or taking steps to improve this area of, of mental health. We are posting tactics and truths that you can start to apply in your life. It's meant to be a, a place where you can get that support as well as offer that to support to others who may be struggling. So if you want to join in on those efforts, again, it's at Win Mental Combat. Thank you again for listening and keep working. There's more to do.